Hello, it's Monday, the 12th of December, and welcome to Career 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang Woo. Negotiations over next year's budget have stalled at the National Assembly after opposition parties unilaterally passed a motion calling for the dismissal of the Interior Minister. We'll have the latest details in news briefing shortly. South Korea's vice foreign minister is in Washington, where he'll discuss the Inflation Reduction Act with US officials. We'll discuss the latest on the situation that is set to hit Korean automakers for our in-depth today. And then coming up for Monday's sports roundup, we'll find out the latest Korean golfer to join the LPGA Tour and boxing legend Manny Pacquiao's recent exhibition fight in Korea. Let's begin Korea 24. South Korea's rival parties clash to start the week, this time over two major points of contention, the budget negotiations and the opposition-controlled parliament's push to remove the interior minister. To tell us more about this story in the rest of the day's headlines, we have a new contributor on the show today. Senior journalist Daniel Che joins us in the studio today for a news briefing. Daniel, hello. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, Jung. Good to see you again. Good to be here as well. Okay, so we begin. The negotiation on the 2023 budget hit an impasse. The deadline is Thursday, and this comes a day after the Democratic Party unilaterally passed through Parliament a motion to dismiss Yi Sang-min, the Interior Minister, over the Itaewon crowd crush. Can you tell us more? Right. At a Supreme Council meeting on Monday, DP leader Yi Jae-myung ramped up pressure on President Yoon to accept it that he must respect relevant calls from the public and the National Assembly. As for the budget negotiations, DP floor leader Park Geun-gun criticized a ruling bloc for boycotting Sunday's vote, going as far as to accuse the PPP of going all out to protect a cabinet member with close ties to the president. The DP is also reportedly preparing to put forth a motion to impeach the ministry should Yoon continue to refuse his dismissal. A PPP interim chief Chung Jin-suk criticized the opposition for what he calls legislative tyranny with parliamentary majority. The ruling party argues seeking the minister's dismissal conflicts with having him included as a subject in the DP sought parliamentary probe. Still, they remain watchful of how the latest discord may impact the passage of next year's budget. Negotiations stopped, with key contributing factors being the DP's demand to reduce taxes for the general public. On the main opposition bloc's push to remove the interior minister, the nation's top office responded already, and it was a resounding no. Right. Uh, this is the first response by the top office to the passage of a motion in the opposition-controlled National Assembly, seeking to hold them responsible for the government's bungled response to the Itaewon disaster. The deputy presidential spokesperson Lee Jae-myung told reporters on Monday that there is no change in the top office's stance that a thorough investigation must precede any discussions on firing the interior minister. He explained there can be proper compensation for the bereaved families only when the scope of the country's legal responsibility is clearly ascertained. He emphasized nothing should supersede this. Yes, we'll see how the situation continues to play out at the National Assembly this week. Uh, meanwhile, more developments related to the Itaewon tragedy. The special police investigative team dedicated to the case will request arrest warrants for key suspects. This is after initial requests were dismissed in court last week. And among those in the list would include officials from the police, the fire authority and the Yongsan district office. Investigators plan to refile for warrants this week against ex-Yongsan police chief 
and he faces charges of causing death by occupational negligence. He could face an additional charge of falsifying an official document for allegedly ordering a subordinate to falsely indicate the time of his arrival at the scene in a situational report. Also, Song Byung-ju, a superintendent in charge of the Itaewon area's 112 emergency hotline on the night of the tragedy. On Tuesday, investigators are expected to transfer the cases of two police officers to the prosecution on charges of abetting the destruction of evidence. Uh, they are Park Sang-min, a superintendent general who allegedly ordered the deletion of a safety risk analysis report drawn up prior to the Halloween festivities, and Kim Jin-ho, a former Yongsan police intelligence officer. Investigators are also considering requesting arrest warrants for Yongsan District Chief Park Hee-young and Choi Sang-bum, head of the Yongsan Fire Station. Moving on, we're nearing the end of 2022. With a new year set to begin, there's growing curiosity over special presidential pardons. And we have some key names being mentioned already. Yes, uh, reportedly a working-level review is currently underway ahead of President Yoon's final decision. A high-ranking official told KBS that the Justice Ministry has drawn up a preliminary list which includes former President Lee Myung-bak, sentenced to 17 years on corruption charges. There's a call for the pardons to be granted on December 28th, a day after the suspension of East prison sentence expires. Another name mentioned is former South Gyeongsang Province Governor Kim Gyeongsu. His sentence for opinion-rigging charges is set to end in May. He could be pardoned without reinstatement, meaning he is disqualified from running for office until the year 2028. They were excluded when Yoon granted pardons in August, because back then the focus was on restoring the economy and public livelihoods. This time, politicians are being strongly considered. Before the president reaches a decision, they will be reviewed by a justice ministry panel and the cabinet. Staying with the topic of politicians and jail time, prosecutors are seeking an arrest warrant for Democratic Party lawmaker Noong Le on charges of bribery and violation of the political fund law. Can you tell us more? That's right. On Monday, the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office filed for the warrant against No. The four-term main opposition lawmaker is accused of receiving 60 million won from a businessman surnamed Park before and after the 2020 general elections in return for various business favors. Prosecutors earlier seized cash worth 300 million won during a raid of No's residence. They issued a travel ban against a DP lawmaker. A parliamentary consent is required to detain an incumbent lawmaker while the National Assembly is in session. The Seoul Central District Court is soon expected to submit a related motion to the government, which will then request a parliamentary vote. If and when the motion is passed, the court will hold a hearing to decide whether to issue the warrant. Let's shift our attention to some concerning numbers from Statistics Korea. Uh, This time the figures are related to married couples. Record numbers are seen pertaining to couples that tie the knot some half a decade ago. Can you tell us more? Always we hear discouraging digits when we mention Statistics Korea (laughs) and, of course, the Korean population. The number of couples married for less than five years has dropped by a record margin as of November 2021. The prolonged pandemic can be seen as a major factor there. According to Statistics Korea, slightly over 1.1 million couples that were married for less than five years, that's down 7% on year. The biggest decline since the agency began compiling related data back in 2015. 54.9% of these newlyweds were dual-income couples, earning on average 8.04 million won. That's 1.7 times more than single-income couples. A record low of 54.2% of the couples had children, down 1.3 percentage points from a year earlier. The average number of children fell by 0.02 to a record low of 0.66. 
49.6% of dual-income couples had children, compared to 60.5% among single-income couples. As I mentioned earlier, whenever we hear Statistics Korea and numbers, not very encouraging digits there. Indeed. And also, next, when we talk about North Korea, the human rights situation is always something uh, that we need to concern ourselves with, uh, which is why an international forum dedicated to the topic is bringing together experts and renowned figures this week. Can you tell us about this forum? Well, the annual International Forum on North Korea's Human Rights Situation opens on Wednesday this week. Held annually since 2017, it brings together various local and foreign experts. It's sponsored by the UN Human Rights Office in Seoul. Participants will focus on major pending issues and future tasks related to North Korea's human rights situation. Unification Minister Kwon Young-se will deliver the opening address, and former UN Chief Ban Ki-moon will give a commemorative message there. South Korea's new envoy for the regime's human rights, Yi Xinhua, will serve as a moderator during the sessions. The former U.S. Special Envoy for North Korea's human rights issues, Robert King, will also be there. And finally, let's take a look at the latest on the government's efforts to negotiate the Inflation Reduction Act with the U.S. Once again, a top government official is visiting the states for talks on the matter. This is going to be something that goes on for weeks and months to come. Mm. So the second vice foreign minister, Ido Hun, will continue urging U.S. Congress to revise the Inflation Reduction Act. The comments were made during Sunday's meeting with reporters upon arrival in Washington. He is in the States to participate in high-level economic dialogue between Seoul and Washington. The minister will attend the seventh round of senior economic dialogue set for Monday, and discussions will, of course, center on the U.S. legislation, which, in, which excludes EVs assembled outside of North America uh, from tax subsidies, uh, which is a big hit on Korean car makers, of course. Mm. He plans to have related talks with American government officials ahead of Washington's planned announcement of guidance on how the so-called IRA will be implemented. There are also plans to meet with U.S. lawmakers and discuss IRA revisions bills submitted to the Capitol. And we'll be talking about this issue further in our in-depth. But first, we'll wrap up our news briefing here. Daniel, thank you for those updates today. Thank you for having me today. Second, Vice Foreign Minister Lee Do-hun set off for Washington on Sunday to hold talks with U.S. officials on economic issues. Top of the agenda was the Inflation Reduction Act. It's the latest in a series of talks on the bill, which, starting January, uh, will exclude electric vehicles assembled outside North America from tax subsidies and is set to hit Korean automakers. The Korean government has also submitted opinions to the U.S. government in November and earlier this month as well. To discuss the bill and where the two sides stand on this issue, we have joining us on the line now Professor Chewan Mok from Ihua Law School. Professor, thank you for your time today. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. So, Professor Chair, for our listeners, could you give us a brief introduction to the Inflation Reduction Act and how it would affect Korean EV makers? Yes, uh, one, of, one of the many aspects under the IRA is, is the provision of subsidy to the purchasers of electric vehicles, which amount to $7,500. Uh, so it's 1,000,000,000, right, per each vehicle. Mm. So in order to benefit from this subsidy, electric vehicles must be finally assembled 
inside North American region using more than uh, 50% of battery components produced inside North, North America as well. Plus, such batteries must use more than 40% of minerals acquired inside North America and uh, FTA countries of the U.S. So most, most of Korean electric vehicles are not eligible because they are manufactured inside Korea using Asian, basically Asian battery components and mostly Chinese and local minerals. So it, it is obvious that already dominant position of U.S. electric vehicle maker like uh, Tesla would become a monopoly because American uh, electric vehicles will, in, will enjoy uh, $7,500 price advantage compared to Korean uh, electric vehicles. Mm. Yes, so as you said, tax subsidies of $7,500, US which is in Korean money, uh, uh, 10 million Korean won, won on, as you said. So how has South Korea responded to the US legislation so far? How do you assess the government's response so far as well? Yeah, I think the Korean government has uh, basically lost critical opportunities and timing to, to lobby. Uh, Korean government expression of concern, of course, many expression of concerns and oppositions are sort of wave, waving hand after leaving the bus, in my opinion. Mm. I mean, uh, Inflation Reduction Act bill was enacted in August. Korean companies have made massive investment contract with U.S. companies and local governments at the time uh, and before August. So government, Korean government could have organized sort of investment package as a strong leverage and exercise certain influence on the U.S. Congress and local governments during the process of discussions and uh, uh, final, final adjustment of the IRA bill so that Korean electric vehicles are not discriminated against in, in the U.S. market. But after the bill has already passed and eligibility of subsidy program is written into the federal law already and contracts are all signed, mm. I think our leverage of negotiation is totally lost. So now high-ranking officials of Korean government is busy in visiting uh, Washington and Department of Finance uh, uh, instead of Capitol Hill. I think uh, I think it's kind of uh, barking on the wrong tree and mm. wrong timing. Yeah. All right. Uh, the Korean government and car makers also say in Korea that uh, they were perhaps caught off guard, that there was little warning uh, about the uh, this detail in the uh, U.S. legislation. But uh, you are saying it's too little, too late, essentially. But this isn't just going to affect South Korean automakers, of course. It's all car makers who do not make EVs in North America. So uh, Japanese and European car makers are affected as well. How have other countries been reacting to the uh, IRA? Yeah, of course, uh, European uh, countries like uh, France and Germany and e- EU Commission itself have expressed concern and warning to uh, French President Macron uh, has even expressed anger in a summit meeting with President Biden. Mm. But uh, we have to know that unlike Europe and Japan, Korea has already made an FTA free trade agreement relationship with the U.S. Therefore, like Europe and Japan, Korea has a very special uh, consultation channel under the FTA, and Korea could have 
made a very strong point that the Korean cars must not be discriminated against compared to North American cars. Uh, that kind of non-discrimination is a uh, kind of basic provision written in the FTA itself. Mm. Uh, I think we already also we uh, think lost the opportunity, you know, very important opportunity. Uh, if you remember in August, Speaker of U.S. House of Representative Nancy Pelosi visited Seoul at the time. I think uh, that was a very critical moment. I think uh, uh, many uh, officials could have met her, but I think uh, President Yoon himself even did not meet uh, her mm. at, at that time. That That's a critical mistake in my, in my view. Mm. Yes, so we could argue that the RA is a violation of South Korea's FTA with the U.S. That's one argument that has been made. Uh, you mentioned that summit uh, between U.S. President Joe Biden and French uh, leader Emmanuel Macron. Uh, U.S. President Joe Biden, after that meeting, acknowledged that the law may have glitches and said the U.S. could make tweaks to fundamentally make it easier for European countries. What did you make of this comment by Biden, Professor? Yeah, in my opinion, the comment is rather general comment on, I mean, in diplomatic language, than than a, a specific and substantial commitment. It's like saying that you know every huge program such as IRA may have potential problems. So why don't you discuss the problem through time? So it's not uh, acknowledging that the subsidy program for electric vehicles need to be amended. You know, the very next day after the U.S.-French summit, the White House made it clear that they will not pursue any amendment of the IRA Act. Hmm. Okay, so they've made it clear. So, you know, yeah, you know, without amendment of the law itself, there's there's no way to to correct the discriminations against European and Korean vehicles. Hmm. Still, European countries and Korea they are continuing to talk to the U.S. and they're talking to each other as well. Following the U.S. France summit and the EU-U.S. Trade and Technology Council meeting, South Korea's Vice Foreign Minister Lee Do-hun, before he set off for the U.S., he met with the European Union's ambassador to Seoul, Maria Castillo Fernandez, last week and was briefed on the discussions. Uh, South Korea's stance is that the EU should not promote revisions to the IRA that discriminate against third-party nations. Uh, but, Professor, would it be possible for South Korea to work together with other countries, including the EU, in dealing with the IRA? They're all affected, after all. Uh, I, I believe uh, the exact meaning of the Vice Minister's uh, comment is that the uh, Korea and EU should work together in fighting against discriminations under the U.S. IRA law. Plus, uh, he meant that the EU should not introduce a similar approach uh, that discriminate uh, non-European cars. So I believe uh, working together between Korea and the EU against Washington, of course, is a very good choice. but sadly, uh, it is indeed the only choice for us now uh, because we lost our leverage and timing. Mm. So as a FTA partner with Washington, I, I believe Korea should have done better and earlier than the European uh, Union. Mm. Right. Uh, Korea should have done better. But then 
looking ahead then, this week, Vice Foreign Minister Lee Do-hun, he is visiting the US. He's attending the seventh round of the Senior Economic Dialogue. And the IRA is expected to be discussed heavily. Uh, last week, South Korea's Trade Minister An Dok-gun and bipartisan group of South Korea lawmakers also visited the US to seek a resolution to this issue. Uh, as you said, the possibility of a change in the legislation being made before January when the bill kicks in looks slim. But what do you think can and should be done at this point now? Yeah, at this point of time, it's called lame duck, right? Uh, because uh, there was the general election in the U.S. Congress and uh, new uh, Congress is not, uh, did not begin their work. So I think it is a very small time uh, span where certain bill can be passed. So this is basically a lame duck session. But uh, it, it is already practically impossible to, to change the IRA law at this even lame duck session of U.S. Congress, I mean, up to the end of this year, mm. because White House and congressional leadership already uh, have agreed to set up agenda of this lame duck session, mm. which include only budget bill, and uh, uh, COVID-related bills and uh, Russian-Ukraine war bills. So only three issues are fixed. The Korean government, uh, in my view, should have taken uh, earlier very, uh, even very uh, more aggressive approach, right? Like uh, considering a possible, <laughs> possible retaliation, possible retaliation against beef, beef import from the U.S. If they really uh, have wanted to solve this problem, Mm. many U.S. senators and congressmen might have expressed their concerns and interest if U.S. beef trade might have been on the table. Now, uh, that possible scenario is also not available because the agenda of the lame duck session is already set. So in the new year, uh, new Congress in the U.S. Uh, Capitol Hill will begin to work. Mm. So I think the only chance is that we should start from the basic to form certain certain uh, initial leverage of negotiation with Capitol Hill sure. for, for possible amendment of the IRA. Uh, but I think it will take a long time. Sure, it might take time, but do you see the U.S. shifting its course uh, next year and the following months, especially as, as you said, President Biden did say that perhaps there could be tweaks to make it easier for at least European countries when he met uh, Macron. Uh, so there seems to be a, a glimmer of hope, at least. Yeah, so I think we have to build up certain leverage hmm. to negotiate with Capitol Hill. So think uh, we have to put a lot of pressure, uh, not only, uh, you know, kind of uh, warning and concerns about discrimination, that, that is not working. So what kind of leverage can we exercise and what kind of more investment uh, kind of package can we offer to the United States in return for possible amendment by ILAB? That, that, that is a very critical issue. Right. So perhaps investment is the carrot and uh, perhaps our own uh, sanctions against uh, U.S. imports, such as beef, that could be uh, the stick. Uh, you're saying we should try and use both to try and put pressure on the U.S.? Sure, sure. Uh, because, uh, because the bill must, uh, the law must be amended in, in the at the end of the day. I think uh, each uh, senators and Congress person is very important in 
in uh, making that uh, kind of amendment possible. That mm. uh, Hyundai company, for instance, or Kia company could uh, exercise certain pressure to their local government and their local Congress so that they can help us to, you know, solve the problem. That kind of uh, very uh, concerted effort, not only uh, by the central government, but also many companies and investment uh, investors as well, then that kind of only only way that, can, that we can create certain certain incentive for U.S. Congress to move. And of course, we can we can cooperate with European uh, countries to to do more uh, exercise more more pressure to the U.S. capital here. Mm. Right for South Korea, then the immediate future of uh, shifting the IRA uh, seems uh, doubtful. But in the long term, there are perhaps uh, cards that South Korea can play. We'll keep watching the situation and we'll wrap it up there for today. We've been speaking to Professor Chewan Mok from Iwa Law School. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 16.02 points, or 0.67% on Monday, ending the day at 2,373.02. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, losing 4.27 points, or 0.59%, closing the day at 715.22. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 5.91 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,307.21. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for Korea Trending, our daily segment where we round up some of the other news headlines that have been trending online today. And for that, we have Walter Lee back with us in the studio to bring us their stories. Walter, hello. It's good to have you back. Hello, Jango. It's good to be back. Okay, let's jump right in. What stories do you have for us today? Okay, so we'll find out why it'll be difficult for tenants of some 1,000 multiplex housing and studio apartments in the Seoul metropolitan area to get their Chonse deposits back. Now, we'll also talk about nearly 100 of a protected species of bird being found dead in the southwest of Korea. And finally, we'll discuss a photo that Jin of the popular K-pop band BTS posted before he begins serving his mandatory military service on Tuesday. Okay, let's get into that first story. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so tenants of some 1,000 multiplex housing and studio apartments in the Seoul metropolitan area are having difficulty getting their chonse deposits back after the owner of the properties suddenly died. Now, the Korea Housing and Urban Guarantee Corporation, or HUG, has said on Monday that following the death of the landlord in his 40s, surnamed Kim, it has not been able to take the necessary steps to return the deposits. Right, so this man had quite a real estate portfolio, it Mm. seems, around a 1,000 apartments and homes, you said. Uh, Before we go into this story further, can you tell us briefly about what Chonse is to our listeners who are perhaps not familiar with this uh, unique housing rental system in Korea? Right, so Chonse is a housing rental system where tenants put up a lump sum deposit without paying monthly rent and getting the full amount back at the end of what is usually a two-year contract. Now, it actually only exists in South Korea. Right, and when we say a lump sum, we're usually 
talking about 50 to 80 percent of the right. value of the property. So usually a deposit is in the hundreds of millions of one mm-hmm. or hundreds of thousands uh, US dollars worth uh, if we convert it to US dollars. Yeah, that's correct. So the HUG said that due to Kim's death, it has not been able to take the procedures for subrogated uh, payments, which refer to the legal practice of substituting one party for another. Now, in this case, the public company would return the rental deposit in place of the landlord through subrogated payments. Now, the HUG would later then file a claim for indemnity to the landlord. But because Kim died, many of his tenants cannot notify him of the termination of their leases and thus preventing the HUG from stepping in. Okay, so do we know exactly how many tenants have not received their deposit so far? Uh, well, the HUG said it is still trying to determine the exact number. One media outlet reported that there are at least 200. Now, Kim, who was being investigated by police on fraud charges, was found dead at a hotel in Seoul's Jongno district in October this year. Now, he's only survived by his parents, and if they decide to refuse to inherit the son's assets, the tenants will not be able to get their Chonsei deposit back until a court selects a property manager. Right, so it seems the property owner was involved in some suspicious activities as well. Uh, As we said, it is huge sums of money normally, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth, tied up indefinitely. Uh, The Land Infrastructure and Transport Minister, Wan Hee-ryong, did announce on social media that the tenants will be allowed to remain in their homes for now Mm. and that the Chunse loan extensions would also be guaranteed. But still, it is a nightmare scenario for the tenants. That's right. Okay, let's uh, move on to our second story. Uh, What do you have for us next? Yes, so wildlife disease control authorities are on alert after 97 hooded cranes were found dead around the Sunchon Bay in the South Chola province, where the endangered birds come to spend the winter. Now, the National Wildlife Disease Control Centre under the Environment Ministry said Sunday that it has received an average of 10 dead hooded cranes a day since mid-November to test for avian influenza, or AI. Now, they were mostly discovered in rice fields and tidal lands around the Bay Area. The sensor confirmed that all the dead birds were infected with the highly pathogenic H5N1 strain of bird flu. Yes, this is uh, hugely concerning. Of course, the authorities are on alert. Uh, and it's quite unprecedented as well, right, to see this number of birds uh, being found dead like this. Yeah, that's correct. It's the first time that the country has seen nearly 100 hooded cranes die in less than a month. Aside from being an endangered species, the cranes are also a natural monument here in South Korea. And in neighbouring Japan, some 1,100 hooded cranes were estimated to have been found dead since November 1st. That's around 6% of the bird's global population. Experts say the tendency for these particular animals to sleep in groups likely led to the fast spread of the virus. Yes, and Japan is usually the place where these birds migrate to every year, right? Yeah, that's correct. From Siberia. But this year, far larger numbers flew to South Korea instead of hibernating in Izumi in Japan's Kagoshima prefecture, which is their favourite spot for the winter. Now, experts believe that the birds' living conditions worsened in Izumi due to the spread of avian influenza this year, forcing their destination for hibernation to Korea. Now, an official of the Suncheon city said the city has increased the number of personnel charged with uh, keeping track of the spread of the AI near the Bay Area to nine. Now, in an effort to reduce the density of the birds, the Environment Ministry plans to operate sites that feed the birds in various parts of the country and call on local governments to boost quarantine efforts.
Right, we don't want the virus to spread to other birds in Korea, especially poultry farms. So it is a situation that will need to be watched closely. Okay, we continue on to our final story. What else was trending today? Right, so Jin of the K-pop group BTS revealed a photo of his buzz cut on Sunday as he'll begin his mandatory military service training on Tuesday. The 30-year-old singer uploaded the photo on the online fan community platform Weverse, wearing a black t-shirt and with the caption... Cuter than I expected. <laughs> so Jin is set to enter the recruit training center of the Army's 5th Infantry Division in Yonton, Gyeonggi Province on Tuesday. He'll be assigned to a unit after completing basic military training. Yes, the day that many BTS fans <laughs> had been dreading is finally upon us. Usually, when celebrities are off to enlist, their fans often appear at the training centres to bid them farewell. Mm. Uh, given that Jin is the first BTS member to enlist, I'm guessing a huge crowd is expected to gather on Tuesday. Right, so that's why the Army, local governments and related agencies plan to operate a comprehensive situation room that day to regulate safety. Now, the head of the Army's public relations office, Kim Jintae, revealed the plan during a briefing at the Defence Ministry on Monday. And he said ambulances will also be on standby as part of efforts to prevent accidents. Has there been any statement from the group's agency with regard to Jin's enlistment? Well, Big Hit Music did reveal that there will be no separate event for the singer's enlistment and called on fans to refrain from visiting the training centre to prevent accidents resulting from large crowds. Right, so fans are being asked to stay away, but we'll see if they do tomorrow. Mm. That's where we'll wrap it up for Career Training today. Thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. It's time now for our weekly segment, Monday Sports Roundup, where we break down the key sporting results, updates and upcoming fixtures. Joining us for that today, we have the return of sports journalist Yuji Ho from the Yonhap News Agency back from the Qatar World Cup. Jiu, hello and welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you back. And actually, we have to start there because you were in Qatar. Uh, the World Cup is still ongoing, of course, but mm-hmm. Korea's journey came to an end last week, losing to Brazil 4-1 in the round of 16. It was a disappointing end, but still, Korea had achieved its pre-tournament goal of make it to the knockout stages, and there were some thrilling matches along the way. Jiho, how would you sum up South Korea's World Cup this year, and what was it like for you watching from the stands from your viewpoint? Yeah, you know, I would say Korea overachieved to get to where they ended up being, uh, round of 16. Uh, you know, you, things kind of looked bleak after losing to Ghana 3-2 in the second group match. And then they were tied with Portugal 1-1 for a while and then scoring the dramatic late winner with uh, Son Heung-min setting up Hwang Hee-chan during stoppage time in the second half. For that 2-1 victory, they sent them to uh, the round of 16. Of course, a lot of things had to go right for Korea at the time. Uh, Uruguay still had to win over Ghana, and, you know, they beat them 2-0, and then Korea advancing on the uh, the goal score tiebreaker. So a lot of, th- you know, kind of kind of stars kind of aligning for Korea uh, on that day, uh, and then Korea advancing to the round of 16 only for the third time mm. in their World Cup history mm. after going to semifinals 2002, uh, round of 16, 2010, and uh, round of 16 once again this year, uh, kind of running into... Uh, I guess uh, the, the last team you wanted to face in the first knockout match, uh, <laughs> World Number One Brazil, 
who scored four times in the first half, uh, kind of putting on a show a little bit. You know, they're scoring some fancy goals and kind of showing off with all their dancing moves and everything else. But uh, you know, Korea really fought well, I think, to get to to get to the point. Uh, you know, Son Heung-min sure. being compromised with the facial injury. Uh, center back Kim Min Jae, their best defender, also hurt. So basically, Korea had the best offensive player and the, their best defensive player hurt for pretty much the whole tournament. Mm-hmm. And for them to get to round of 16, a pretty remarkable feat uh, in itself. And personally, uh, you know, this was my second World Cup, and I was able to witness won my first Korean victory, uh, you know, being Portugal, and also first knockout match for Korea in person. Mm. So, you know, I was in, I was there in 2014 when, in Brazil, Korea lost uh, twice, had a, had a one draw in the group stage to take the quick exit uh, right. without coming close to the, going to the knockouts. And I wasn't there when Korea defeated Germany 2-0 in the final group match in Russia. So. Yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a milestone, I guess, personally, to watch Korea finally win a match when I was in the stands and, and covering, and also going to the knockout. So uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was a longer than anticipated trip, uh, but yeah, <laughs> it was uh, it was all, all I guess it was all worthwhile and uh, a pretty a strong uh, showing for Team Korea. Sure, it sounds like it was a special experience for you, and. Uh... As we expected, the Korean team got a hero's welcome when they returned at Incheon mm-hmm. Airport last week. And there was even a dinner with the president, of course. Hopefully, Korea can continue to build from here moving forward as well. And we can look forward to the next World Cup in four years' time. OK, let's turn to some new updates now. Korean golfer Yu Heran won the LPGA Tours qualif- qualifying tournament to earn her membership for the Top Women's Tour for next year. She survived the eight-round marathon and will now get to test herself against the best in women's golf. Jiho, can you tell us about you and her win? Yeah, it was a marathon indeed. Eight-round battle to grab LPG Tour card for 2023. And Yu Heran came out on top, shooting 29 on the par. Two better than Bailey Chardy of the U.S. Yu uh, Heran is the second straight Korean to win the qualifying tournament or Q-series after Annarin last year. Uh, Ryu Heran is 21 years old. She's been one of the best players in KLPGA in recent years. She was the Rookie of the Year in 2020, uh, runner-up in the Play of the Year points standings this year. She was fourth in money, second in scoring average, and she had more rounds in the 60s than any, anybody else in the, on the Korean Tour this year. Uh, so she's been one of the very best and she had announced at the end of October that she was going to play in the Q Series, saying this was the right time in her career to give that a shot and try to go to the PGA. Mm. Uh, she, she did not have much left to prove in on the Korean Tour. Uh, she was already one of the top ball strikers already. It needs to be a little sharper with the putting. And uh, you know, after winning this qualifying tournament, she said she didn't think she could actually win this card so quickly. <laughs> Uh, but uh, experience of playing in narrower narrow courses in Korea really helped her playing through these eight rounds in the uh, qualifying tournament. And she, was, she said she was looking forward to going up against the best uh, players in women's golf. Sure. So Yu Heran, the latest Korean to join the LPGA Tour, and we'll see how she fares in the big leagues next year. 
Moving on, the boxing legend Manny Pacquiao won an exhibition match that was held in Korea on Sunday. And there he hinted that he may return to the ring for real next year. So, Jiho, can you tell us about this fight and what do we know about his return? Yeah, with Manny Pacquiao, he easily defeated Korean mixed martial artist and YouTuber DKU by, by a unanimous decision. You know, this guy turns 44 on Saturday. Uh, he has stable the politics since, uh, I guess, since before stepping away from boxing a couple of years ago. Mm. His last official fight came in August of 2021. And uh, Pacquiao schooled a much taller and heavier opponent with some rapid, rapid fire punches. But I guess this is really not an uh, accurate indication of where he stands in boxing sure. because he, he did not fight a, fight a boxer. But afterward, when asked if he would fight again next year, he said, quote unquote, you will see. You know, his career record stands at 62 victories with 39 knockouts, eight losses, and two draws. He had previously, previously said he missed boxing and he felt lonely when he retired from the sport. And this match in Korea would be a, a sort of a stepping stone toward his coming comeback. You know, he might want to fight. Uh, you know, someone like, I don't know, Floyd Mayweather Jr., mm. uh, which would be a big deal. Uh, that would be a blockbuster fight, even though they're both over 40, they're kind of in the downhill. Uh, but uh, it would certainly be an entertaining fight mm. if the two end up going toe-to-toe once again in the ring. Sure. So for this exhibition fight with uh, YouTuber DKU was perhaps quite unexpected. What do we know about how this fight came about? And secondly, do you really think he'll return to the ring for real? As we keep saying, he is uh, 44 years old. Yeah, with the with this fight, this is a showcase, and they uh, they organized to organize this event to raise money to help Ukraine during the war, and also to help some homeless in, in uh, Pacquiao's native country, Philippines. Uh, so that was that. It was for a good cause, and uh, obviously, you know, with DKU, he's already a popular guy on YouTube. Uh, you know, going up against someone like Pacquiao certainly helps his popularity, his notoriety, if you will. Uh, as far as his uh, YouTube channel is concerned, uh, whether he's gonna, whether Pac-Man is going to come back for real, you know, I it wouldn't surprise me if he does mm. come back and fight a, a real boxer for a change next year. I, I think he's kind of really itching to get back. Uh, and he's been in politics. He ran for president actually earlier this year in the Philippines, didn't win. Uh, but uh, you know, this guy is a born boxer, so I, I think he does miss the sport. Uh, maybe he still got it. Uh, sure. We don't know yet because he just fought on. He just fought a non-boxer, so um, I think he's going to maybe fight someone else in boxing, and then maybe try to come back against someone like Floyd Mayweather Jr. next year. Right, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Finally, let's turn to some off-season baseball news. The Cume Hero of the KBO have reunited with the controversial American infielder Addison Russell. He'll be replacing Yasuel Puig in the lineup after spending parts of the 2020 season in the KBO. So, Jiho, Russell returning to the heroes then? Yeah, Russell has signed for $700,000 after spending the past couple of years in Mexico in the Dominican Winter League. He was first with the Heroes in the second half of 2020 season. Was a disappointment, uh, just two homers in 65 games, betting 254. Uh, he's the former National League All-Star for the Chicago Cubs, won the World Series with them in 2016. Uh, you know, Yasir Puig had a solid first year in the KBO, uh, but the Heroes decided not to bring him back after some uh, legal trouble emerged. Uh, Puig is five, five, he's facing some illegal gambling charges in the U.S., 
In the meantime, uh, Russell has some domestic violence issues in the past himself. He had once, one time served a 40-game suspension uh, from the Major League Baseball. Uh, but the Heroes had previously claimed that the offense was not as serious as it was believed to be. And then they had done enough background check to feel confident enough uh, to sign Russell. Uh, but he, he did not pan out on the field. They're going to give him a, another shot. Uh, over a full season. Mm. But also today, the Heroes said they're going to bring back their left-handed ace, Eric Jokic, for a fifth season. He's been, he's gone 51-33 and 33 over the past four years, 2.71 ERA, the best in the KBO in the span. Mm. Also, third in victories, second in innings pitched, third in strikeouts among all KBO starting pitchers. So he's been one of the best in KBO since uh, first signing with them back in 2019. Sure. We'll have to leave it there, Jiho. It was great to have you back today. Thank you for the updates, and we'll talk to you again soon. OK, thanks for having me. My name is Sun Tae-jin. You're now listening to Korea 24. It's time for our final segment now, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Crow Times and the Crow Herald. And for that, our staff editor, Richard Larkin, is with us in the studio. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. OK, so let's start with the first story. What do you have for us? Park Young's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald talks about a 167-year-old orchestra's upcoming tour in South Korea. The Philharmonic Orchestra of Strasbourg will perform in four cities around the country. They are Sungnam in Gyeonggi province on December 16th, Jinju and Andong on the 18th and 19th respectively, and Seoul Arts Centre on the 20th. OK, sounds exciting. Uh, what will they be playing on this tour? The article mentions that the pieces they will be playing will show the musical connection between France and Russia. One of the pieces will be Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto Number no. 2. The orchestra's music director, Aziz Shokhakimov, mentioned that French composers were very much influenced by Russian composers such as Stravinsky. And actually, Shokhakimov has been described as a young music master by the article's writer. He debuted with the National Symphony Orchestra of Uzbekistan at just 13, and at 18, became its conductor. During a recent press conference, he also brought up the Korean pianist Im Yun-chan. Yes, the Korean pianist Im Yun-chan, who's also becoming a bit of a young music master himself. He right. is, of course, the winner of the very prestigious Van Cliburn uh, piano competition, and his concerts have been uh, selling out uh, in all over Korea recently as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not a part of this uh, performance, this upcoming tour by the uh, Strasbourg Philharmonic. He is uh, not. But uh, you're just saying that uh, he mentioned him in an interview, right? Right, yes. I believe because he's coming to Korea, so right. it might have just came up in conversation. Right, so what did the director say about him? Well, the director said he was blown away by Im's level at such a young age and how he is able to have so much control of his technique. He added that he's also interested in seeing what Im will do in the future. Yes, so it looks like Im is... Garnering attention internationally as well, it mm-hmm. seems. OK, let's move on to our next story in the meantime. Uh, what do you have for us? The famous Hollywood director James Cameron came to Seoul last week 
He is the man behind the movie hits Titanic and Avatar. Mm. Kwak Yun-soo's article in the Entertainment and Arts section of the Korea Times explains to us what he said at a press conference for Avatar's sequel at Conrad's Soul last Friday. Yes, this is, of course, the long-awaited sequel to what was a groundbreaking film at the time. Yes, 13 years ago was when the first film came out. I feel old. I remember going <laughs> to see it in the movie theatre. I think I saw it four times because I loved the graphics so much, sure. the CGI. Yeah, I'm sure many did as well. Yeah. And despite the time gap between the two movies... Cameron is directing again, and the two main actors, Sam Worthington and Zoe Saldanda, are back. And there's a reason why the director came to Korea at this time as well, right? There is. That's because South Korea will be the first country in the world to show the film in movie theatres. The world premiere will be held in Korea on Wednesday. Yes, so Korean audiences will see it first, officially. Mm -hmm. I remember with the first movie, there was a uh, strong environmental message about Mm. human greed in mining. And the sequel is no different. The last movie, like you said, was about forests and mining, but this time the message is about exploring the ocean. This is not really a surprise, as the ocean has been used in Cameron's previous films, like The Abyss and, well, Titanic. Mm. The director mentioned that the ocean is very important to him as a diver and an explorer. Another common thing to see with his movies is a long runtime. Avatar's sequel is no different. It's about three hours and ten minutes long. Wow. So be prepared for a long journey. Yes, indeed. Anyway, the film is coming out this Wednesday here in Korea. We'll wrap it up there. Thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And that's where we call it a day today. Thank you for staying with us. Now, today it seems we have just enough time to remind you that you can always listen to our show as it's broadcast on our apps, KBS Kong, KBS World Radio and KBS World Radio On Air. You can also listen on shortwave. You can check the broadcast schedule on the KBS World Radio website. That's world.kbs.co.kr. And once the show is over, our show is available to download as a podcast. You can find that on our KBS World website as well or on popular podcast apps such as Naver Audio Clip. In the meantime, we'll be back same time tomorrow. So do join us again then for more news, views and reviews from Korea. Until then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye.